0: Good morning. We continue uh, talking about order and chaos. And so where we were up to in the last podcast was talking about uh, the fact that when I first started in business, I could see order in the chaos of a factory. And therefore, I attracted clients in, a, in my first consulting business, uh, turnaround uh, 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 business, that had factories similar or if not a little bit bigger than mine, but with exactly the same problems I'd worked through so that I, my clients were uh, attracted to me because I could see order in their chaos. Uh, as time went on and I educated myself on the behavioural aspects of my own business and saw how I caused a lot of the mechanicals and a lot of the organisational struggles through the disorder in my own mind and I brought that to order through doing an MBA and going to Nepal and studying with monks and looking at behavioural uh, workshops in, in the US and travelling around the world, I suddenly started to see order in the chaos of the mental aspect of running a factory. And so suddenly I attracted a group of people who said, I've got a factory, I, I need to put uh, order in that chaos, and, uh, but I also can see that my own imbalances are, are a causational aspect of leadership in my own ownership of this business. And I attracted 60 new clients in a very short period of time when I re-engaged my business to include Order in the Chaos in both the leadership aspect and the factory design and and manufacturing process aspect of consulting. And that business grew and grew. But then I still needed to find Order in the Chaos of what happened to me as an individual Free the business, and so go back uh, to uh, the previous podcast or the one before it, where I talk about having a childhood with a alcoholic stepmother and my father deciding that it was better to have uh, a crazy woman in the house as a as a pseudo parent, because at least uh, we couldn't uh, I don't know go wrong or our undies got washed. Um, He thought that a better option uh, for us than um, um, being just a, a three boy family, but um, uh, in 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 the era he grew up in, and with his wife dead, he obviously would have had some shame about divorce. He would have had a really huge investment in um in in authenticity, having come out of the Second World War and all these things. So. Uh, my dad made decisions based on, (coughs) blamed us kids and said, she's there for you and I'll marry her so that you've got a house, a stepmother. But really, there was a massive part of this equation. If he had been coached, would have drilled down, gone into his grief, worked out where he was taking, uh, carrying uh, responsibility for the death of my mother, which he did till his own death, um, and uh, helped him through that. He may not have had the same viewpoint of keeping uh, this, my stepmother in the house for 15 years of, uh, uh, of domestic violence. So, um, and, ha- and so what I had to do at some stage with, now my business was running really well, doing factory turnaround and business turnaround in, in, in manufacturing. And now that I had uh, the capacity to work with leaders and help them find balance and love and harmony inside themselves and find it all, I needed to go back and add another dimension, which is the heart and soul part. And I, I, so therefore, I had to re-immerse uh, myself in my own wounds as a, a three-year-old child, having lost his mother and what that caused and how that therefore created a cause causation with an effect, which was I was married for 13 years, had three children, and event, eventually had an affair in that marriage, uh, which caused the end of it and... Uh, uh, and I had to go back and say, what the name of goodness, when everything's going right and I work so hard, built 13 houses in 13 years, built three businesses in five years, um, made million, millions of dollars, moved around the world, um, had everything a person could ask for. Why in the hell would I undermine a beautiful woman and three children and go and have an affair? What, what, what was in my core? that had emerged from this wound that would trigger me to be so dishonest as to say it was best for me to have an affair. It was best to stay in a house uh, for the last five years of our marriage that wasn't healthy for the sake of the kids. It was best for me to run a business and drink whiskey each night. That that if a coach confronted me on any of those levels, and some of them did because I h- hired coaches, some of them did, I'd fire them. So so I empathise with how it feels to be coached because sometimes when someone sticks something in your face, if you don't trust the source of that coaching, if you think that person's got a bias or they're trying to make you feel wrong and you right and they right and you wrong, if, if the coach is sort of hovering around some position that they can't change or they've, you know, they've got a hammer and they're trying to put a screw in the wall by hitting it, you kind of like lose trust for the coach. And my coaches in those days, when I ran my business were you know financially driven or they had a paradigm they were trying to flog, uh, such as my Briga or something of the sort. And so r- really they were all people with hammers trying to bang screws into the wall. And, and I didn't feel like I'd, I'd met somebody whose advice I trusted. However, the advice I got from them was all very true <laughs> in, in, in essence. So with all this and with the new 60 clients and the business going really well, I started to delve into the concept of heart and soul and to find out why my, uh, my body and my mind would build such a uh, uh, successful story and be happy. And we had a beautiful house at Research, which is near Warrandyte in Melbourne. We had acres of land, tennis court, deep swimming pool. We had a block of land that was, you know, we, we had goats and sheep and snakes and God knows what up the back there and uh, dirt road out the front and a beautiful winding driveway up to a house. We had it all. And my, uh, my foc- and my factory was in Knoxville, which is, you know, you can drive to it through the back way from Warrandyte. I was president of the school council at, at, at Research Primary School. I um, uh, was in the surf club at Janjak, uh, did patrol captain. I was, uh, you know, running every day. I had a, uh, we had a beach house down at, uh, at Aries Inlet that we um, shared with another family. I mean, uh, um, I drove a, a Range Rover, a brand new Range Rover. My, drive to, my wife drove another fancy car. And look, if, if, if you were to look at this story, you'd go, shit, why would anybody screw that up? And I had to say to myself, and, you know, as much as I say there's two people always playing in a game and two people participating in a, in, in, in a marriage that comes to an end, I've got to say that my poor Judy, my ex-wife and my three kids were at the back end of some wound that was deep inside me. I wanted to say why did I cause, if, if I believe in the process of manifestation, which I totally do, that we cause our results of our life if it's good, we cause it, well, we need to take blame as well. And and I, I know that uh, had I not had that affair, had I not had that wound, had I not uh, done all those things, uh, I would probably still be miserable with Judy, my ex-wife, and l- living in a house in research, running a, a, a business like I was. So I'm glad it all happened. I'm not go- trying to r- r- say I want to go back and change it all. But when it all came to a finish, and it came to a finish far longer than it needed to because you know, I was unaware and unconscious and not being uh, seeing order in a chaos of my own life. Uh, and I built these consulting businesses and, and, and got to know different parts of business. I, at the end of it, I was unsatisfied. I, I thought, here's the money coming back. The business is growing again. I had a base in New York. Everything's starting to grow up again. It's coming back to thing." But some niggling question in the back of me said, I know this is gonna happen again if I don't sort something out. And I had new relationships and new time, but there's something in me just new that, the, that this whole thing didn't fall on its ass and this whole thing didn't come unstuck just so I could rebuild another one and set myself up for, for the second level of failure. So I, I had a deep, uh, let's, let's say secondary motive for my existence. My first motive was to rebuild my consulting uh, come back into the world and help other people who are in the same place as I was all those years ago to try and guide them through body-mind. But there was a piece of it I always felt I didn't understand, and that is the karmic piece, the piece that is like um, you, in, you inherit from your wounds, that you bring into the day and is unconsciously uh, but, but transparently impacting the manifestations that we cause. And I really didn't want to manifest that again. So I went about exploring what is soul, what is heart, how does it cause, where is purpose, how do we find real purpose in life, how do we connect to our higher self, the higher mind, the alter ego, how do we connect beyond ourselves. And I spent massive amounts of energy going to ashrams and meditating and being up with Buddhist monks and going to Bhutan and going to India and studying yoga and studying all the alternatives to how do you find purpose? How do you find connection to God or soul or or a, higher, or a higher part of yourself, the inspired part that doesn't listen to your emotions? And after a bunch of years, I started to attract clients who were interested in it. And the I- irony of this is I didn't seek them out. So I decided at some stage I was going to become a professional speaker because more and more the part of business that interested me is not in changing factories because I felt like I'd trained enough people and worked with enough people and there were enough people coming on the market now in a, in a brave new world to be able to reorganise factories. I felt that was a bit blur and I could hand that over. I could uh, release that part of my work to people who are probably better at it than I ever will be. Then I started to work on the mind and the body and the body-mind connection and help leaders get more balance and make better decisions and come to their businesses with a more, um, let's say, satisfied proposition that which is not so hungry and therefore doesn't risk everything for, for, for a wild promise and therefore deliver better leadership to others and understand others better and be create a, a more collaborative and a more loving environment in their workplace. But as, as I said, um, it, it still wasn't finished, but I be, what I decided to do with all that is to become a professional speaker and actually go around the world talking about what i would learned about, which is what I'm doing right now in a different form. So this is me professionally speaking in a way. So I started t- traveling around and there was a, I got a brochure in, uh, and it was in the early days of the internet. So I, God knows how I got it. It would have been by post for sure. I got a brochure advertising that the World Conference on Corporate Consciousness was to be held in Mexico. And so, and there was this big pamphlet in with all these speakers, Deepak Chopra, people who spoke to the president of the United States. There was, you know, probably 50 speakers. And so I signed up for it. And what I did is I wrote to the organiser and said, I would like to speak at the conference. I don't want to be an attendee. I'd like to speak there. Can I be on the bill? And they said, well, obviously you've got in your hands the brochure. They're, they're all the little holes which have people's heads in them throughout the brochure is our uh, field. So how can you ask to be a speaker? And I said, well, is there a thing called an emergency speaker? And they said, yes, we have backup speakers at the conference. And I said, what discount do they get? And the answer was, uh, they have to pay for their accommodation, but we uh, they have to pay for their flights, but we pay for their accommodation and their meals. So I said, it's a deal. So I flew myself to Mexico and to be the emergency speaker with a speech already to run a whole thing. And uh, lo and behold, this is an amazing story, I think. I was sitting at breakfast talking to Deepak Chopra sitting side by side, because I was on the speaker's table. And I just happened to sit next to Deepak, who at the time, body, mind, big hero. And we're talking away, and da, 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 and Deepak's telling me this, and we're laughing, and you know I'm an Aussie, so we get on really well, and he's laughing some stories about his visits to Australia, and we're we're sharing this great brekkie. Uh, I think I had steak, and he had mung beans, (laughs) probably at the time. Anyway, long story. an announcement comes over. Uh, Chris Walker, would you please come to reception? Chris Walker, would you please come to reception? Um, and it was you know a big five star resort, and this is quite a, a break in the tone of the whole environment. And so I waddle off uh, past the swimming pool out to reception, and it was someone there saying, "A our speaker uh, who's on next has uh, his mother has passed, and he has to return immediately back to the U.S. Would you be able to stand up and do his gig?" And I said, "Totally." So I went upstairs, got out of my board shorts and uh, Hawaiian t-shirt and put on my work clothes and went down and lo and behold, 500 people in a room, I did a gig. And, um, you know, again, going back to this cause and effect thing, I'm searching for to add the word soul and heart into the work so I could heal wounds so people don't unconsciously manifest wounds in their life. And... I have no idea where my professional speaking career was gonna go, all I'd know is I spent $100,000 back in uh, Sydney hiring speech coaches, a script writer, uh, stage performance manager uh, and, and a speaking bureau to get me work and so I'd invested to speak about mind, body, spirit uh, and, and sort of bring some of this work on purpose and soul and everything into corporate environment the consciousness is what it's called. And here I am up on stage in Mexico, not being paid, but be up on stage in front of 500 people talking about something that really I hadn't implemented fully in my own life yet. i was still, you know, crawling my walk, you know, trying to get it, work out how it related to the whole thing. From that 500 person keynote, I did a, they always do on these events, as you probably well know, they do event a speaking gig, and they get everyone to speak, uh, four speakers, and then they have what they call breakouts, where you can write your name down and you get into one of the four rooms with one of the four speakers. And I had 200 of the, f- of the 500 people in my room, which was big enough for about 70 people. So it was jammed to the gunnels. And I let fly with both barrels. I just started talking about heart and soul and my own story and how business improvement and all this sort of stuff. And lo and behold, in the room, there were four people um, from Canada who, uh, uh, the company was called People Development in uh, Halifax, and they were there at this consciousness because that's what they delivered to the Canadian market, uh, consciousness in business. And they said, would you come to Canada and talk? And lo and behold, uh, uh, three months later, those four people brought me to Canada, uh, gave me a, a, a an ice-proof, wind-proof, blow-proof jacket that weighed about 16 kilos and that I needed to put over my what what I thought was my winter gear. And I eventually presented. And I presented in front of an audience in which there were Indigenous people, uh, First Nation Canadians. And those First Nation Canadians sat there going, holy shit, the stuff you're talking about is the stuff that we uh, believe in from our heritage, but we've lost the art to talk about because we just don't know how to bring that across with all the, the uh, stories of, of religion that we've learnt and all the self-help we've learnt and all the stuff we've learnt. We've forgotten how to talk about the spirit from a point of view of nature and how it is ingrained in us and how it's part of the connection of a human being to the natural world. And so I got to work with, for the next five years, Indigenous people right across the whole of Canada, First Nation people—really, really amazing, inspiring, clever, but to- quite tortured communities of people, where the the religious paradigm of you know you're going to go to hell if you shit in the wrong place, to the police, to addictions, all the way through, and uh, and underpinned with a magnificent culture of connectivity to nature, and and how each tree can talk, and each rock can talk, and how each mountain talks to us, and. That collided directly, perfectly with the work I did in Nepal because all the Tibetan Buddhism has got nothing to do with the Buddha. It's got mostly to do with uh, nihilism, which is that nature and humanity is one interconnected thing. And if you piss on a tree, the tree will eventually piss back. So, you know, they asked permission to climb Mount Everest and they asked the God, they asked Mount Everest permission can we climb on you? And she might say no, in which case that the Sherpa would walk away. And so this thing that I learnt in Canada with Indigenous communities and the stuff I learnt in Nepal from the beautiful Sherpa people it started to become one topic. And what it was, that topic, it's a voice you hear outside of yourself or a respect you give to something bigger than yourself that speaks back to you, but not in language. It speaks back to you in knowing. So when I'm talking to people now and I say, Are trees green? And they go, yes. I said, did you know that my green and your green don't have to be the same green for us to agree on it being green? And they go, that's a really big surprise. And I said, well, nobody knows what is green. It's the eye interprets light shade and translates it into the brain. And the brain just says, let's call that green because it's educated to do so. And I said, but what if you knew something more powerful and knew it with even greater certainty than the colour green. What if you knew something about your life and about you and about things and about things bigger than you that's more clear to you than the colour green? And I said, and, and, and that is what it's like to have a friendship and a relationship with nature and your soul through that. And that became the, the story. So... With that, I attracted, with my knowledge of my own uh, journey and my wound and fixing my own wounds, I started to attract people who needed their wounds fixed and admitted they had them and said, well, I know my relationship with my father is causing me to be a little bit disjointed in the way I father. I know my relationship with my mother and father is causing me a bit disjointed in the way I treat my wife or spouse, or I know my relationship with my mother is causing me to treat my father different or my partner different. And the, the people who own the wound, and which is cause and effect, started to realize that the wound, although it gave benefit because wound equals purpose, the wound needs to be healed in order to live the purpose. And so I started to attract a massive number of people who recognize the value and importance of, uh, of unravelling a wound in order to live freely and, uh, as an inspired leader in the world. And so that's the, the whole thing that I'm talking about today is about cause and effect. We don't have to write a vision statement. We don't have to do all that stuff if we don't want to. But the fact is, the more we work on seeing order in the chaos of our own existence and finding truth beyond truth beyond truth and pushing ourselves through our comfort zones and saying, Oh, I'm here because it's good for the kids or like my dad, I've got grief. I'm just going to blame the kids, uh, find someone to look after the kids because I'm not going to admit that I even have grief. The more we can dig in and, and dig out that stuff, that grief or that uh, anger or that disappointment or that frustration or the judgment, the more we become authentic. And the more we become authentic, the more authentic people we attract around us. And the more people around us will be searching for the very gift that we have to give. And that's called manifestation. And, and any musician who sings will know that the size of their audience grows as the size of their love for their and the purity and clarity they have with their work. And it's no different to being a business leader. We are musicians. We are people who, if we can't go internal to the inner wealth, it's impossible for us to lead on the outside without violence and, and uh, 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 brutality and aggression. And that's not necessarily sustainable leadership. So it's been an interesting morning. Have a great day. Bye for now.